Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Welcome to another edition of the St Albans podcast with me, Danny Smith. I'm slightly smiling because we've just done all this once and (laughs) through a technical error and maybe human error as well. It all went a bit wrong. But anyway, welcome to the first show of 2023. And my guest uh, on on the show today is Derek Coe. Uh, Derek uh, is a longstanding member of the Company of Ten uh, based at the Abbey Theatre. And Derek is the director of Measure for Measure, which is their next production on from the 27th of January to the 4th of February. Welcome along to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm so sorry that we we just spent about four minutes and then we had to stop. So one of my rehearsals. Well, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. I, I mean, a little bit more um, emphasis, if you could, a bit more energy. Yes. Time, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Derek has been involved for a very long time with the Abbey Theatre, both uh, on stage. Uh, I I saw you in an I believe it was an Alan Akebourne play relatively recently where it was a two one act plays wasn't it and you played no, a gentleman- it was it was actually alan bennett alan bennett yes that's right oh. it was the office suite it was called yes. i was close nothing yes. from alan either side i'm yes. afraid but yes. alan bennett yes and uh yeah you you were in the i remember you were in the first half that's of the, right. sh- of the a visit evening. from miss prothero was yeah. the name of the and it was a would they call that a two-hander because they were just yes two that's right yeah um and and yes uh, I, I it was a very um interesting play i thought because it started with you kind of enjoying retirement and it ended with you completely broken and couldn't wait to go back it yes. seemed <laughs> got but, to in one yeah but uh, but as well as acting like i say numerous plays uh, you, you also direct and you are directing measure for measure the uh, william shakespeare play that you have also adapted so why measure for measure i my interest in measure for measure goes back a long time exactly 60 years because in 1962 i went to edinburgh university I was um, cast for the first play I'd ever been in in my life uh, for a production of Measure for Measure, which was taking place in January in uh, 1963. So it's exactly 60 years ago. And it was wonderful being part of a production. Uh, it had everything, you know, big set changes, wonderful costumes, uh, makeup girls, um, one in particular, but I won't go there. And it was lovely being part of it, but I really didn't think the production was all that marvellous. And I've been waiting 60 years to try and do something a bit different with it. Okay, that is quite interesting. I mean, because one would imagine that as a young man thinking, well, you know, I, I, I could do better, maybe. I know that's not quite what you said, but, n- yes. but not liking it. One might think that's somewhat arrogant. But then as... as as you have perhaps now proven, you know, you, with with what you have done both on stage and and off, uh, maybe now you are perfectly suited to to bring this bring this here. Nice, uh, nice of you to say. <laughs> it, it was, I think, arrogance partly the arrogance of youth going up to university for the first time, etc., etc. But it was also born of a very strong conviction that I knew what I was talking about when it came to drama. And rightly or wrongly, that feeling has been with me all my life. And I've never been too shy of expressing my point of view. So maybe I disregarded the fact that a production has to cater for more than one taste. Maybe the fact that I've adapted it certainly 
is a sign of my interest in a particular aspect of the play, and it may be that other people disagree with it, but I think in drama, in live theatre, there is a chance for everyone to make their point, to direct according to their principles, and also to choose plays according to their principles. And Measure for Measure, for me, has very strong principles at the base. Okay, um, and I, I admire the fact that you 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 saw that through to where we are now, which is just a few weeks from mm-hmm. the play um, going live, go, you know, being available for public consumption. Um, I, I, we both have a background in, in youth work in, in different areas. Um, you, you through um, education, uh, and and I think often we can dismiss something a young person says as being somewhat arrogant, and and mm-hmm. it's nice to think that you've. You, you would have proven any, um, yeah. any, you know, any accusations of arrogance wrong because we're we're we're, ready, we're almost ready to do this play right now. Yes, well, uh, I did teach English and drama for quite a long time, and um, drama was always to the forefront because, as an English teacher, I'd very often use drama to identify texts, to look at themes of novels, to look at relationships. And quite a few of the pupils I taught have gone on to work in professional theatre, have gone on to do all sorts of marvellous things. Uh, And I don't think I've ever lost my certainty about what I can do and what I should do. Um, Possibly arrogance has pursued me all my life, and it could be that this time I'm due for a comeuppance, but we'll see. Well, I mean, from my very limited uh, experience of, of the theatre, it looks like this is going to go down rather well, and it, it looks like all of 60 years of effort has paid off. I would hope so. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, when you were in the play, you played Elbow. Yes. And now you've given Elbow the Elbow, because you have <laughs> adapted this play, yes. haven't you? And you've, yes. ch- you've made some quite big changes, haven't you? Yes, I've, I've um, shortened it. I've, I've cut out some of the, um, the sidelines of the play, and there, certainly there was a lot of, if you like, uh, underworld comedy, uh, rough, bawdy comedy, which revolved around Elbow, Pompey, and other gentlemen of leisure who visited a certain house of ill repute run by a mistress uh, overdone. And I think you have the wonderful line in the play, don't you? Overdone? Actually, more than one husband. Overdone by the last. <laughs> but it's, uh, yes, the, it, one of the problems with a lot of Shakespearean bawdy in his serious plays is that it slows the play down. And one of the things I've wanted to do is maintain the pace of the play. So whereas a full production of Measure for Measure would be somewhere in the region of two, two and a half hours, I'm hoping that uh, our production will be about one and a half hours. And it's a very fast-paced play because the action of the play takes place in little more than 24 hours, which is incredible literally unbelievable in terms of what happens in the play but that is it's the morning of one day to the morning of the next day so there isn't any room for slowing the pace down for having sideshows for having uh, extra characters and yes i cut elbow the drunken policeman and i cut friar peter 
And I think that was about the interest of my life at the time, drink and the church, which <laughs> didn't always coincide very easily. Uh, now it's possible to shed those youthful misdemeanours and concentrate on the moral value of the play. OK, so for Shakespeare aficionados, they will still recognise this as measure for measure. Oh, yes. Uh, I've kept a lot of Shakespeare's language, a lot of his uh, speeches, because there's some very, very fine poetry in the play, some wonderfully moving parts of the play. I wouldn't dream of altering those. But what I have done is cut out a lot. I've rewritten quite a bit to make links that were impossible to do without uh, either adding in characters or just altering the verse. So I've probably kept about 60% of Shakespeare's original, but it's been reshaped and remodelled, uh, I suppose, to suit different characters. And um, now, I'm uh, perhaps I'm moving in, in, I'm sure, lower circles than you do. Some of the people that I have mentioned this play to and that I'm doing it, they've said, oh, is it in Shakespearean, as if that's a language of its own? And and I've 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 said well actually I, I think the language is quite accessible um, yes. because I'm only in a small part of the play I, I have seen bits of the rest of it um, during rehearsal but but it doesn't seem to me that it feels particularly Shakespearean in its dialogue so is that something that you you've tried to change Yes I've I've, um, I've altered quite a lot of the archaic vo- vocabulary I've changed some of the um, the sentence construction, if you like, the way in which phrases came out in Elizabethan English were different from now. Um, I've also, I think, although it sounds a bit la-di-da, I've, I've simplified parts of it. And I think the combination of cutting out extraneous characters and also simplifying and cutting out some of the, if you like, extraneous language has made it more accessible. I hope so. Time will tell. Okay. Now, um, something that I did read about this uh, this particular adaptation uh, is um, I, I read somewhere that, that you you said that this might we might well speak to the 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 Me Too era yes. that we are in. So absolutely. So that this is a quality that you believe was always there, and that you've just perhaps um, yes. focused in on it a bit more. I think it's a sign of the times that in the nineteen sixties uh, it was probably something that wouldn't be picked up as readily as now, but it was still there. And that is the, um, the mistreatment of, of women. When Shakespeare wrote the play, there were only three possibilities for a woman. One was to get married. Uh, one was to stay a maid, but therefore in need of a family fortune. And the other was to become a nun because there wasn't any such thing as independence for women in terms of jobs, in terms of careers, even in terms of family structures. And Shakespeare was very aware of this. He has some remarkably strong women in his plays. And Isabella, in Measure for Measure, is determined to become a nun. She is rejecting normal life, you might say, and going to be, uh, as a nun would be seen, a bride of God. Now, she's interrupted in her quest because her brother, who doesn't share her chastity, has got his girlfriend pregnant, and under the new laws, he's going to be executed. So, Isabella goes to the duke, or the substitute duke, who's in charge of affairs at the time, and says, please free him, 
pleas for him, and he says, only if you give up your virginity for me. And now this is, if you like, symbolic of the way in which a woman's role would be seen as one that could plead, one that could ask for mercy for a relative, but had to give up something of herself in order to get that. I think it's very relevant. You think of cases like Harvey Weinstein, for example, the way in which the casting couch syndrome became almost normal for him. He would expect a woman to give up her virtue to be part of his production. Now, for Shakespeare to be writing about something like this in the 16th century, early 17th century, is a sign that there was a lot of that kind of evil and misthinking abroad, which we would hope to rectify. But in my experience, it still exists, that women are more likely to be taken for granted, women are more likely to be subjugated, women are more likely to have poor careers, if any at all. It goes on and on and on. And men, marvellous men, with the great arrogance of authority, go on taking women for granted. Okay. And if you want to know how uh, this is addressed, then book a ticket for uh, for Measure for Measure. Uh, as I said, it's on several the, tickets. Yes, yes. Bring bring people. Twenty uh, seventh of January to the fourth of February is when it's on at the Abbey Theatre. The link to uh, find out more information and to book tickets is in the description of this episode right now, uh, where you can also find it on our website, stalbanspodcast.com. Uh, so, I'm. I think that sometimes listeners are interested as well in the process of how an idea becomes mm. a play that they can go to see, particularly in, in uh, community theatre. Is that how we would describe what we do at the Abbey Theatre? Um, it's certainly a community and it's certainly a, a sort of... Uh, it's a self-help group in some respects because <laughs> we don't have any funding for, from extraneous organisations or government or council. Uh, the Company of Ten and the Abbey Theatre are entirely independent. Uh, and yes, we are very lucky in having a lot of very strong women who are at the forefront of activities in the theatre. And we're also bedeviled by the fact that a lot of plays don't have as many parts for women as they do for men. Mm. And one of the things I tried to do setting out for casting measure for measure was to try and equalize the women and men's parts i haven't quite succeeded but we've got fairly close to it uh, because in shakespeare's play there were something like 14 male characters and only four women so we've got a little bit closer than that okay uh, and the, the the process then so you so you as you've mentioned you you've been wanting to put this play on now for for 60 years uh, so you, you you bring this to the theatre and say I would like to put it on and several then times. Can... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's I've um, the first time I proposed doing this was I think it was between fifteen and twenty years ago. I can't remember exactly when, and I've kept popping up my head over the parapets and saying, please, please, I've still got this play I'd like to do. And in the end, about two years ago, I got the go-ahead. So I spent a whole summer dealing with the rewriting and then presented the text to the theatre and it was accepted. So I was thrilled to bits, or as they say in Yorkshire, chuffed to bits, lad. <laughs> OK. And, and so then when they agreed to, to put it on, then the work starts then because you, you've got the script 
pretty much where you want it. Yes. But but then you've got to, um, I guess, find all the, the, the backstage people, the crew, yes, and then the right. cast. Yes, it's um, casting for the, for the acting part of the play was fairly long and drawn out because you make casting open. Anyone can turn up. But you can't resist just having quiet words in certain people's ears and saying, look, have you looked at this script? There's a part for you in it. That, I'm afraid, does go on a little bit. Um, but you rely at the theatre, any kind of theatre, on the people who make things happen invisibly. In other words, the people who build sets, the people who get the costumes, the people who do the designs, the painting, the construction, all of that. And we're very lucky at the Abbey Theatre to have, again, some marvellous women. Leslie Ibinson, who runs Simply French uh, on Hollywell Hill, is our wardrobe mistress. And we've got wonderful Judith Goodband, who's been running the props part of the theatre for years. And she looks after the properties, in other words, the bits and pieces that are moved around, not fixed, the, the, the sticks, the, the letters, the jewellery, the chairs, things like that. And we've got a stage manager who happens to be chairman of the company, Paul Davidson. And we've got some wonderful people, including my own wife, who's my assistant director for this one. So we're, we're, we're blessed. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's been a joy to be part of as well. Um, so listeners may well know that I, I have dabbled in a little bit of acting in the past, but I haven't done anything for quite some time. And it was through a mutual friend of ours who's in the in the production who came up to me and said, "There's a part in this for you, Danny. He's uh, he's he's a very low moral fibre, and I thought you'd be perfect." <laughs> Uh, so thank you for that, Rory. And uh, and so I came along and auditioned, and and yeah, and thankfully um, that 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 no one else I think was interested in that part. So you gave it to me. Nonsense. There <laughs> at least one other person. <laughs> well, regardless, but you, you, it's been it's been great. And and I would encourage anybody listening who might be thinking, you know, what I did a bit of acting at school, or or I've always mm. just wanted to give it a try. It's such a f- warm, friendly place uh, to, to 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 come along and inquire. And and you never know, you might be auditioning for a play. You might even then end up on the stage absolutely but there are other ways people can kind of come in and they might start helping elsewhere to get a feel for how a production works as well might yes, they yes that's right it's we rely totally on volunteers at the theatre so I think every production requires two stewards for every performance requires somebody to act as house manager in other words to be in charge of the house of the building on that evening it uh, requires people to operate sound, to operate lights, uh, to work behind the bar, to work in the coffee uh, dispensing department, to sell ice creams. There's all of that, which is all voluntary. And every production needs all that team every night of the show. So it is pretty demanding. The actors are the ones that have it lucky in a way because they get the plaudits, they get the audience reaction whereas the people who work behind the scenes are often women, often taken for granted. It, it is very easy to forget exactly what you're saying there, that, that you can look at a production, and at the end, when, when the cast come out to take their bow, you might see half a dozen, a dozen people maybe, depending on how big the, 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 the cast is, but there's probably four to five times that many people that have enabled you to see Absolutely. that production that night. Absolutely. And, and, and they are often the unsung heroes. Yes. Um, yeah. who, and we couldn't, we literally couldn't exist without them. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, we can't legally put on a show unless we have 
the stewards and the stage managers. Unless we have uh, the people who can ensure that we meet fire regulations, for example, that we meet health and safety regulations, even things like how ladders are used to be able to adjust lights and alter the set, that all has to be legalized, has to be supervised and requires volunteers to be able to do it. Mm. Okay, so if you are interested in the theatre in any way at all, uh, do check out the Abbey Theatre's website where you can find out how to join in and it's abbeytheatre.org.uk. But but yes, I've, I have been, I'm thrilled to have been accepted into the cast. I, I, I was uh, very pleased that, that Rory encouraged me. He, he had to twist my arm a little bit. I was a bit reluctant initially to, <laughs> to come along and, and he offered to pick me up and he drove me there. And, and yes, uh, I, was, I was most pleasantly surprised when you phoned me that evening and said, you know, I'm afraid no one else wants to do it. So it's you, pal. <laughs> Don't let me down. So, so uh, thank you for that. Thank you. And, uh, and yeah, I've, I mean, you say about the costumes and things. I have, I don't even know if you've seen this yet, but I have the most wonderful costume and and I cannot wait for people to see it. I've asked if I can borrow it because I, I, I think it looks rather splendid. Do you happen to know what my costume is? Oh, yes, because this has all been worked out in advance. Right. So uh, I say how I see various characters, even do little sketches occasionally. And then uh, Leslie Ivinson goes away and tries either to make or find costumes that are suitable. And she's a joy to work with I think I'm right in saying every play I've been involved with, every play I've directed, I've had the same backstage people and I'm delighted to be repeating it this year. So um, I'm just going to show the picture now that they took. Uh, I don't think I can share this with the listener, but I'm going to show it to Derek for a live reaction. But that, that's how I look. Absolutely <laughs> splendid. Just how I see it. It's remarkable, isn't it? And dear readers, if you could possibly see this. <laughs> you, <laughs> I think we ought to televise this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a fantastic, most yeah. flamboyant costume. And, and I, I've set the play just to interrupt Danny I'm sorry uh, in Vienna in oh the yes 1920s. we didn't say sorry and, I meant to ask this, you this is one of the reasons why the costumes are quite funny uh, Shakespeare said his in 15 the mid 16th century in Vienna when the Austrian Empire uh, or the Holy Roman Empire as Austria was part of was in danger of crumbling attacked from all sides uh, democratic uh, democracy in its virgin form uh, superseded by autocracy switched to Vienna in the 1920s between the two wars you've got the same kind of problems facing the state all those years after the Austro-Hungarian empire in this particular case but it's it means that we've got a fair amount of flexibility because how do you set Shakespeare there's no point in looking for genuine Elizabethan costumes because nearly all of Shakespeare's plays were set in other countries in other eras and we find one that is suitable that carries the message we want and therefore dress it accordingly Okay, and and was the was nineteen twenties Vienna was that was that your first choice was that an obvious choice or what was the process that led it, you to that it, setting? Yes, it, it's partly because the the play was set in Vienna by Shakespeare, and the the Duke of Vienna is one of the characters. And I thought, well, Vienna in the sixteenth century is a bit too constricting. And I was thinking, 
what do we know about Vienna? And one of the things that caught my mind was, was something about 1930s Vienna to start with. I was thinking of Cabaret, mm. and I was thinking for one of the characters, the wonderful Joel Grey, his introduction in that. And then I thought, hmm, go back a little bit further, and Vienna in the 1920s had a wonderful music scene, and it was really vibrant. You had characters like Mahler, uh, music, you had writers like uh, Stefan Zweig, you had um, Freud, for example, was working in Vienna during the 1920s, if you like, peering into people's dreams. It was a very, very vibrant kind of society. And Shakespeare's uh, Measure for Measure has a wonderful cast that goes from the top aristocracy right down to the boards and the pimps and the, the the low life in between. So we we do represent a whole spread of society in and that it, particular era. It's a pleasure to be at one end of that as well. <laughs> it truly is. So uh, Measure for Measure, it's on from the 27th of January to the 4th of February. It's in the studio, at which is the, the smaller of the two stages within the Abbey Theatre. But I think it lends itself to that space because... Well, in fact, you tell me, explain to the listener why it works in that space. I think one of the things it does, it it makes you concentrate on what's essential. Because if you've got a very limited acting area, it's very, very good for actors to be face-to-face with audience instead of separated from them. I think it's also very good for an audience to be so close up to actors because there's no hiding place either for the audience or the actors. But it also concentrates the action of the play into what is achievable. So we don't uh, have a lot of wasted sort of uh, fights, movements, uh, strange walks from side to side of the stage. Everything has to be concentrated, has to be done for a purpose, and that purpose has to be clear. So it leads, I hope, to clarity of production rather than occasionally just getting lost in the magic of the stage set and different sets changing different colors all the rest of it i mean we've got wonderful lighting effects we've got good sound effects but the play is the thing and the play is very real when it's done in a small space like the studio okay um thank you for all of that now finally what's next for derek co are are you uh have you already got an idea for your next project is it acting or directing or 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 are you just thinking as soon as this is over i want a big bottle of something (laughs) and a quiet space i couldn't possibly say that um i have no plans i'm uh, knocking on a bit uh as uh, you'll have gathered with going back 60 years (laughs) to my student days um the first thing i want to do is ensure that the project is enjoyable uh once it's finished i'll draw a line under it rest for a bit and possibly have a very large bottle of something or other. But also just start thinking of what next, because I find that working in the theatre does help to keep me young, or at least younger than I might have appeared had I not been working in the theatre. It gives me a bit of energy, and I think that's essential as you, as you get on a bit. But it also, I think, 
you bring a certain sort of wisdom and maturity and experience to what you do and I hope I'm still doing that okay you don't have any other plays that you've been trying to bring to the stage for 60 years that are, that are the next project I've got several but I'm not <laughs> going to tell you at the moment because I some of my tastes I one of the plays I directed the first play that was on at the theatre after lockdown was Samuel Beckett's Endgame that's also a very bare bleak kind of play uh, but it was it was wonderful. I am a great fan of Samuel Beckett. Not everyone is, and certainly, as far as theatre is concerned, uh, you don't always win audiences. So I would, I think, like to do something that is broad, that is slapstick, that is packed with humour, packed with incident, packed with life, and I haven't yet written it. <laughs> well we will watch this space perhaps you'll come back and tell us when when that project is I hope so. got, got more of a shape to it but in the meantime there it co thank you very much for coming on today and sharing this with us and and that concludes another edition of the st albans podcast we'll be back next week with our very own uh, literary correspondent claire hobber if you want to find out more about uh, what we've talked about on this show or, or just about the podcast in general check out our website stalbanspodcast.com and for a link to the abbey theater and to this current production of measure for measure you can find the details in the episode notes right now we'll see you again real soon thanks for listening to this edition of the saint albans podcast with danny smith if you've enjoyed this podcast please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice this will help us reach more listeners join us the saint albans podcast next wednesday for more news views and reviews in the meantime commit no nuisance produced by samantha rolf logo and artwork by david ellis This is an independent production in association with the Hearts Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.